Hope you're all having a good morning so far. Uh, If you want to find the book of Ephesians, uh, if you have a Bible with you, the book of Ephesians is a a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul. uh, And the Apostle Paul, you can read a little bit about his story in the book of Acts. He went around starting lots of new churches um, just after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, And one of the churches he started is in this city called uh, Ephesus, which is in uh, modern-day Turkey. Uh, And you can read the story of that in uh, Acts chapter 19 of how that church started. It's quite a dramatic story. Uh, And then a few years later, Paul writes a letter to them, which we have here in in our Bibles. Paul was probably, at the time he wrote the letter, he was probably in jail. Well, he was in jail. He writes the letter in prison. And he was sitting there. We don't exactly know what his situation was, but the likelihood is that in front of a locked door in front of him would have stood a Roman soldier. Perhaps even he may have been even sort of chained to a Roman soldier, which makes the passage I'm going to read to you, the imagery of it will really stand out to us. I'm going to read in chapter 6, I'm going to read from verse 10 to verse 20, and then this morning we're going to focus just on the first four verses. Let me read it to us and then I'll pray. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Jesus, we thank you for these words written to this little church 2,000 years ago, which are also written to us today. I just pray that... uh, the power in these words and the power that we find in the strength we have from you would fill our hearts with courage and faith today. We pray that you would, as Dan uh, started this service, that you would enlighten our hearts with the glory of the gospel this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I think perhaps that the biggest problem that Christians face so often we can think about the challenges that are in front of the Christian faith today we might think about the sometimes 
uh, hostile culture around us, where it seems where Christianity was once just was once normal, even a few hundred years ago. Perhaps 20 or 30 years ago, to be a Christian was a bit a bit weird. So today, it can often feel like being a Christian is is somehow wrong, is somehow almost immoral in a weird sort of way against the culture of the world around us. But I don't think that is the biggest problem that Christians face, not by any means. There might be other, lots of other things, lots of challenges that you face if you're here, if you're a believer in Jesus, challenges that you feel like you're facing. But I think the biggest problem that we as Christians, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, the biggest challenge we face is that we've forgotten the true nature of what it is to be to be a Christian. And if you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, then you might say, well, surely the biggest challenge is that it's not true, <laughs> that this is all just some kind of cloud fairy myth. Well, we do believe it's true, and we're very keen to talk to you more about that. But again, that's part of the problem is that often Christians, followers of Jesus, their lives live as though it's not true. Or at least it's only partly true. We treat Christianity as though it's a, it's a hobby. You know, it's some kind of spiritual additive. It's a kind of wellness package. It's some kind of spiritual diet that we're on. And that's not how the Bible speaks about Christianity at all. In 1 Timothy, another letter the apostle Paul wrote, he encourages us to fight the good fight of the faith. He also says in that book that we should wage good warfare. The reality is that to be a Christian, it's not like a battle. He's not giving us a nice picture, an illustration to help us. To be a Christian is a battle. We do have to fight. There is warfare involved it's because we have an enemy. 1 Peter 5 says that the devil, Satan, he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And again, that might sound crazy to you if you're not a follower of Jesus. In some ways, believing in a, in a, in a devil is almost weird than, the, than believing in Jesus. What's that about? Imagine for a second, I think it's, it's almost harder to believe that the devil doesn't exist when you really consider all the evil in the world. When you consider some of the hideous, disgusting, horrid things that happen, you only need to watch the news or read a newspaper for a few minutes. We get so desensitized to it, but there are things in there that should really shock us and disturb us it's because there is an enemy in the world who wants to cause destruction and chaos and perhaps it's often said that the enemy's that the devil's greatest trick is to, was to convince us that he didn't believe at all but another one of his tactics is to sort of just help us to live a sort of a, a kind of a half semi partial Christianity C.S. Lewis, 
who wrote the Narnia books. He also wrote a little book called The Screwtape Letters, which is a, it's a work of fiction, but it's, it's one senior devil writing to a junior devil, explaining to him how to trick, how to fool, how to deceive, which is what the devil does, believers. And one of the tips he gives him is to say that, is to, is to moderate, is to sort of close down, to give them a sort of partial Christianity. He says this, a, moder- a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. That's one of the things that the devil wants you to do. It's just to treat Christianity as just a, just a hobby, you know, just something you do on Sundays. To not really let it affect your life. To not really engage in the battle, the fight of the faith, but just to sort of plod along and every now and again think, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, aren't I? So what should we do? Is this, is this passage we've read, is, is this fight in the good fight of the faith, is this just sort of taking up some Dutch courage? Is this sort of singing our fight song, take back my life song? No, it's not about that. Because if you notice in that passage, in verse 10, he says to us, finally, be strong. That's his encouragement to us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This isn't an encouragement for us just to search deep within ourselves and find the power inside. It's to be a follower of Jesus to follow him means you're able to come to God and say, God, make me strong. Give me, give me strength. I need your help. And he does that with all of his power. At the end of the book of Luke, when Jesus is, is he's gathered his disciples together, he's, he's just uh, died this brutal horror death and he's been resurrected and he's giving his final instructions to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. And he tells them to wait because they're going to be clothed with power from on high. And that's what we've received as followers of Jesus, that you've been clothed with power. In 2 Peter it says that by his divine power, he's given us all we need. All we need. All the struggles that you face, the temptations that you come across, the challenges that feel insurmountable, that feel too big, too great. He's given you all the power you need. It's there, it's available to you. And what he encourages us in this passage to do is is to to put it on, to, to dress yourself ready for battle, ready for the fight. And over the next four or five weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to learn a little bit about each of these different aspects about the armor of God, what it is to put them on, what it is to use these to help us to follow Jesus. But I'm give us a few pointers to start us off this morning of how to put on the armor of God. How do we do that? First of all, it's important we recognize whose armor is it? Whose, whose armor are we wearing? Because as I said at the start, Paul, as he's writing this letter, he's in, he's in prison, he's in, he's in jail. He's, he's shackled up and he's seeing this Roman soldier and he sort of uses this image to kind of give us this picture. 
But also what Paul is doing is he's, he's looking back into the, the Old Testament of your Bibles. And he's pulling out some pictures there. Where in the book of Isaiah, several times it describes to us this Messiah, warrior, king who's going to come. It talks about in different verses of him putting on armor, of putting on a, a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness it talks about in Isaiah 59. In Exodus 28, it gives us this picture of how Aaron, the high priest, had to clothe himself in these garments, including again this breastplate with these jewels in it reflecting God's heart for the people of God. So what Paul is telling us here is he's not just saying to us dressed like a Roman soldier he's saying to us this armor that you've been given it's it's God's armor because <laughs> we see him wearing it in the Bible that's what it's talking about in Isaiah that's what it's talking about in, in Exodus 28 that God has this sort of heavenly Messiah armor and it's not that God's just said oh let, let, let me find some kind of rusty old bits to give to my people he said, no, this is, this is my, my gift to you. The, the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you right now. That's the point he's trying to make here. It's the same power. It's the same armor. See, because what this book of Ephesians, one of the major themes of this letter is about our union with God, our our identity in Christ, what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And one of the messages that gets across to us again and again is that now, because of this salvation you have as a follower of Jesus, that what's true of him is true of you. That you've been saved, you've been added to his family, that you're a co-heir with Christ, that the Father looks on you and he sees the same righteousness that's on Jesus, he sees on you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done for you. What's true of him is true of us. And what we're instructed to do as believers is to live like that. To live in the good of that. In Ephesians 4 it says, put on your new self. That you've been given these robes of righteousness to wear. In the book of Romans it puts it another way. It says, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Your, it's a bit difficult to describe, but your union with Jesus, there's something, there's a mystery about it. There's something about it that we can't really, I can't give you a picture or illustration that will sum it up. But what I can say is it's, it's deeper, it's more powerful than you could ever realize. The union you have with the living Lord Jesus Christ is the closest union you could ever have. So when a couple gets married, they, they join in, in a union together. Sort of two separate independent people become one flesh. That's how the Bible describes marriage. And marriage is a picture of what it is to be a Christian. That two, that a separate person is suddenly united, one flesh with God. That we're, as the church together, we're part of the body of Christ. And that means to wear his armor is just to put on this armor is just to recognize the union we already have with Jesus. It's his armor and we get to wear it. 
The second tip for us on how to put on this armor is just to recognize who we are fighting against. Because it might sound to you that I'm calling us to some sort of holy Christian jihad or something bizarre like that. But it says to us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What that means is that the Bible knows that we often get this wrong. And we often, we want to wrestle, we want to fight against people around us or institutions around us. We, we, we think the fight is with other people. And again, that's one of the things that the enemy wants to, to trick us into doing. He wants us, in a sense, to engage in, in friendly fire. In the Second World War, nearly 20% of the casualties were, were friendly fire, whereas one troop shoots another from his own side. And so often that's what we end up doing as Christians, is that we, we, we wrestle, we fight against people who are actually on the same team of us. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. See, because what the devil wants to do is, he hates relationships. Anything that's supposed to reflect in any way the glory of God, the devil will stand against. He will. Marriage, he will do anything he can to try and destroy it, to try and undermine it, to try and put some point of difference between the two of you. Friendships, the devil was always wanting us to drift apart, to sort of close off our lives. So often that's what we do in our modern world is we limit our relationships. We put barriers and boundaries around them. We, I'll disclose this amount of my life, but only this amount. These bits they don't get to have. That's one of the ways that the enemy tricks us to limit our relationships, to close things down, to drive us apart from one another. But we have to remember that we're not fighting against the people around us. That when you come into disputes, maybe in your workplace, you hit a season of dispute, it's very easy to think that the whole corporate culture is against you, that your boss is seeking to undermine you and pull you down. And they might be, but there's someone pulling the strings behind the scenes. You've got to understand that. And our job as Christians is not to take the, the battle against other people, is, but is to love our our enemies is to pray for them and recognize that's how we that's how we fight the battle well is that we're not wrestling against that person I'm going to pray even though he feels like my enemy I'm going to pray for God's blessing on him that's how you fight this battle because who we are fighting against it says here against the rulers the authorities the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, it's easy to depict the devil as kind of a, as a cartoon, you know, a little red man with horns and a stick. Or, or maybe to picture him as some kind of weird pervading force from like a horror movie. But the main tactic of, the main way the Bible describes him, when it calls him, Satan. Satan means adversary, someone who's against us. It means accuser, a deceiver. And that's what he does. He comes to, to trick us, 
It says here that he, we, we need to stand against the schemes of the devil. He has schemes, tricks, deceptions, lies, manipulations that he'll bring against you. And so often the, the battle we face is an internal one. Because these accusations, these tricks, they, they come into our, into our hearts. Little, little arrows that penetrate in. In all moments where you suddenly feel bitter towards a person. That, that's a lie of the enemy that's coming. That's one of his tactics. But the wonderful good news is that as we were singing already, that Jesus is victorious. So another mistake we can make is that we can get into this sort of dualistic way of thinking when we think Jesus is here, the devil's here, there's this great conflict taking place. Oh, who's going to win? Well, we already know. You can read to the end of the story. You can find out who's won. You can read what it says in the rest of Ephesians. Let me read a couple of verses that we've already you can already find in this book. In chapter one, it says, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. You see, he's, those powers and authorities he's talking about in Ephesians six, he's saying here in Ephesians one that Jesus is above them. That in his death and resurrection that he's defeated them. It says in Ephesians chapter 3 that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That now because of Jesus' victory is that through the church, the people of God, he's proclaiming his victory. He's making it known. He's making the wonder of the gospel known to all the authorities and powers that might stand against them. They're defeated. Jesus is a victor. And perhaps the main way to understand why you still face temptation, why there's still a fight and a battle often even in our own hearts, is because it's, it's like a dragon that's had its head chopped off. Satan's still thrashing around, trying to cause some destruction, but he's defeated. A good example that, that might help you is that at the end of the Second World War, um, the, here in, in our city in Dadaam, in Dam Square, they, they all gathered to celebrate the end, to celebrate victory in Europe Day. We've won. The Nazis have been defeated. We can have our city back. They've been driven out. And crowds of people all gathered in the center to celebrate this. Well, they didn't know there were still some Nazi snipers positioned in some of the buildings around. And they shot and killed a number of people. It's a horrible, sad way that the war ended. But that's a little bit like this story here, that the enemy's been defeated. But he's still like this roaring lion, prowling around, looking to people to destroy. But the battle is won. Jesus has won this victory. The English preacher C.H. Spurgeon said that we fight 
not as slaves against a master, but as free people against a foe. Do you understand the difference there? Sometimes we're tricked into thinking like we've, we've just, we're, we're completely lost, we're, we're out of control, we just can't defeat this. I feel like there's this master who's ruling over me, who's oppressing me, I'm a slave. That's not the truth of the gospel. The truth is that you have liberty, that you're free. And we fight against a foe, a very real foe, but a defeated foe. The next step, the next thing we can do is we get to put on prayer. It's one of the ways we put on this armor is we pray. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few weeks' time. But by prayer, what we don't mean, it's not like some kind of game of mortal combat. It's not that we sort of start praying against demons. But we pray for wisdom. Pray for help. See, prayer is, is a powerful weapon that God's given us so often it feels I don't know about you but for me my prayer times can feel tiny can feel puny can feel a bit like is this really working it doesn't feel very powerful but it's the most powerful thing you can do it really is when we gather to pray together as a church it's the most important meeting we have so we're saying to God we can't do this but you can we put our trust and we hope in him and he moves we'll say more about that in a few weeks time another thing we get to do is we put on this armour of God with with humility with weakness in 1 Samuel chapter 17, perhaps the most famous story in the Bible of, of armor is where David, I don't know if you know the story, he's this, at the time he's this shepherd boy, probably just a teenager, and there's the, the Israelites are facing this enemy, the Philistines, and they've brought this great giant Goliath who asks for, he wants someone to fight and whoever wins that battle is going to win the whole contest and everyone's too afraid, no one wants to fight him. And David, this little shepherd boy, says, oh, I'll, I'll give it a go, you know, why not? And the king, Saul, says to him, well, you, if you're going to do this, you, you better wear my armour. And David tries it on and it, it doesn't, doesn't fit. So he rejects the armour, he, he doesn't put it on. And he goes with this little slingshot and he takes out Goliath and he wins the battle but that story, it's, it's not really about human courage. It's not about David sort of finding the strength within. The reason that he doesn't wear the armor is to display that the only way he will have victory is if God moves, if God's hand is at work. It's, the point of the story is that we find strength in weakness. We worship a crucified Messiah who is greatest act of strength was this weak death on the cross. It talks about in the Bible that our power is made perfect in weakness. So if you feel weak this morning, if you hear me talking about 
fighting and wearing armor and you think that just doesn't, I just, that just doesn't fit on me. I, just, I can't even begin to think how that would work. You know, you don't know the challenges I'm facing. You don't know the struggles in my heart. You don't know how feeble I feel. Well, you're in, you're in a very good place. You really are. So often when you meet someone and they, they've, they've just reached the bottom, you know, they just, I couldn't be at a lower place in my life. That's a really good place to be when you're in Christ. When you, when you realize, goodness, I've got nothing here. I'm completely dependent upon Jesus because that's all I have right now. It's just the best place you could be. That's where you'll find power is when we find our, our strength and weakness. Point number five, another way we put on this armor is very simply, very practically, get help. I don't know if you've seen those movies, kind of war movies from the Middle Ages where you'll get like a king being suited up with his armor. And what you'll notice is that other people have to put the armor on. As in, they have to put it on him because it's big and heavy. He can't do it himself. I think that's part of the point of this story is that you need help to do these things. Another big theme of the book of Ephesians is all about the church. It's not about one person's identity. It's about us together, the people of God. To be a Christian means you're not united not just with Christ, but you're united with other believers around you. And to live out a life where you stand firm, that you're strong in the Lord, that you withstand in the evil day, you need brothers and sisters around you to do that. So the churches with the family of God, the people of God together. If you're, if you're finding it hard to pray, ask someone to pray with you. Simple. <laughs> really is that simple. If you're finding it hard to understand the Bible, find someone and say, could you just help me understand this bit of the Bible? Maybe we could just read a book together and, and talk about it. If you're finding this parts of your life where you're just struggling to have faith for them, ask someone for help. This church is full of brothers and sisters who would love to help you. And we're constantly helping and serving one another. Number six, and finally, it's important, as I've already said, that we remember that we fight a battle that's already been won. I just want to unpack that a little more before we finish. In 1 John, it says, the reason that the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was destroy the works of the devil. In Hebrews chapter two, it says, through death, Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The works of the devil, the, the devil's power over death have been destroyed in Jesus. And a good question is, well, how, how does that work? I'm gonna read a couple of verses from the book of Colossians to help us understand that a little bit. This is from chapter two. It says, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities 
He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So it's the same language again. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the devil, any demonic power has been put to open shame. He triumphs over them. But how does it do that here? It says he did that by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. See, as I said earlier, Satan is is an accuser. It says in Revelation 12 that the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down forever. See, Satan will try and accuse you, but he's lost his power now. Because the record of debt has been cancelled. The legal demands that stood against you have been removed the law of God no longer condemns you. See, because what the devil will do is he'll come at you and he'll say, you're not good enough. You're not, you're supposed to be a Christian. Look at how you're living. You're not not righteous, not holy. Look at the mess you've made of your life. That's what the devil will come to you and say. He will, he does it all the time. He's an accuser. One of the ways you get to stand firm, where it talks about, you know, we put on this belt of truth. You can go to these verses in Colossians and say, well, no, because the record of debt's been cancelled against me now. It says in Romans 8, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one. (laughs) No one. There's no charge that can come against you. There's no accusation that can come against you. Now, whereas the devil will throw these things at you, you can say, but that's not true. Do you see, Jesus has given you a defense here. He's given you a way to stand. You can say, no, that, that's, your work, devil, has been destroyed, has been defeated. That any accusations you make, any time you say that I'm not good enough, well, I am good enough. I am. You might say I'm not righteous, but I am righteous. You might say, I'm not holy enough. Well, I am because of what Jesus has done for me. Remember, we're in Christ now. What's true of him is true of us. There's no accusation that can come at you from the devil that stands any ground, that has any legitimacy now. Jesus has won a victory for you. It's... See, it's... <laughs> that's really where we find strength. Where where you call to light the wonderful promises of the gospel, <laughs> when you remind yourself of just the wonder of your salvation, that you're forgiven, <laughs> that that's where the joy of the Lord becomes your strength, where this salvation brings you life and hope, when you realize how much you're loved by God, how much he's added you into his family, that you're secure now that you're his that you have a father that loves you (laughs) any accusation just doesn't hold any water anymore you can just say to to satan no see sometimes we think as that we should we should flee it does talk about fleeing temptation but when it comes to the the enemy the devil it says here that you stand firm that you can just stand your ground and say i'm I'm not receiving that. (laughs) It's not true. 
just, it's just not true. You can leave now. And he will leave. He has to leave. When you proclaim the truth of God over who you are, you're just standing in the victory of what Christ has done for you. I think it's probably best to stop. I've got more to say, but I think what would really help us is to pray. So why don't you stand to your feet? If you're watching at home, you can also stand if you want. You don't have to. Jesus, we, we want to lay hold of that in our hearts today. God, we, I'm sure it's not just true of me, I'm sure it's true of all of us here that we do want to be strong in the Lord. We want to stand in the strength of your might, but we're so aware of our weakness, and that's a wonderfully good thing. And I pray that you would help us today to, over the next five weeks as we get into this passage more and more, I pray you'd help us today to put on that armor. And the, the first thing we want to do is to proclaim your victory over the battle, to say, Jesus, you have won. And that means that any accusation from the enemy that comes against me, I can, I can, I can rebuke it, I can refute it, I can say no. I'm, I'm, I'm been added into the family of the righteous. I'm loved by the living God. I have a Father in heaven who is for me. I pray you just make these truths just sink into our heart right now where people in the room are, are, are feeling the, the battle. Maybe they've come in here this morning with a few scars, a few bowel wounds. I pray they just receive healing in you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that this, we're clothed with your power from on high. And you, you're, such a, you're so gentle to us. I pray you would just come by the Holy Spirit and just speak words of healing and hope, of just love and affirmation to our hearts. You just restore us by your grace. But I pray just that your victory wouldn't just be a sort of a, a marching around, throwing our fists into the sky, but would also be a, a deep acknowledgement in our hearts that we need you, that you're all we need, that you're the answer. Pray you just come, Holy Spirit, right now. Fill us again. Fill us with all the strength we need in Jesus' name. Amen.